For me, it's being present. So I have a meditation practice. I had that before I began to run and I have been able to transform running into a meditative practice, which I'm actually writing about that now. Because let's say that charity event we talked about, if you're not present with yourself, you're not going to care to help someone else. And if you're not present to the people around you, to yourself, you can't be present to the people around you. So that it always comes back to just being in this moment and learning how to be okay with it, even when it's difficult. Because then when it's wonderful, you can really enjoy it because you're there, you're present. Do you want to wake up feeling like you're stepping into who you're meant to be? Into the best possible version of you? What if I told you that the key to your best life, health, and happiness are all around you? You just have to find what works for you. I'm Hope Pedraza, and I believe that there isn't just one way to live a healthy and meaningful life, and that all you need is a little inspiration to make changes that last from the inside out. Each week, I'll be sharing tangible tips and inspirational interviews to help you on your journey. These are the steps to take to improve your life and live with purpose. This is Hopeful and Wholesome. Hey y'all, welcome back to Hopeful and Wholesome. Today I have on the show Nita Sweeney, and Nita is the award-winning author of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, and today we are talking all about mental health, more specifically about how Nita used running to literally bring her back from the brink. She has an incredible story that she's going to share with y'all just about her mental health and how she worked through it. And really just a real honest conversation about mental health, how our mental health is related to our physical health and our wellness, which I think is just not talked about enough. And she just has such an inspiring story and such a great outlook on the importance of mental health and how we need to use that because mental health is health. So I know y'all are going to get so much out of this episode. Y'all enjoy. All right, y'all let's get going. I'm here with Nita Sweeney today and Nita is an award-winning author and she is a runner and an ultra marathoner and has a bunch of other things on the list that you just heard me say in the intro. And I'm really excited to bring her on to talk all about kind of what she talks about in her memoir and about how she's using exercise for mental health and all things mental health. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nita. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. So, okay, let's kind of start from the beginning. And how did you start running? And really, why did you start running? Well, I started running because I needed an answer. I had been chronically depressed much of my life. I've been on meds. I'm still on meds. And had therapy, a lot of things, you know, cycles of good and not so good. And one day I was on social media and a high school friend, same age, about the same size I was at that time. She posted, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And I really (laughs) thought that we needed to call someone and have like a wellness check. (laughs) She's lost her mind. (laughs) I just really thought Kim, of all people. And, uh, you know, because we weren't, we, we were into horses and I was in the band, but we weren't athletes. We weren't on track or any of the other sport things in high school. And I just watched her for a while as I was continuing to be depressed. And she seemed to be getting something out of it. And so in, uh, I live in central Ohio, the winters can be dark and cold. And um, as the spring started to come around, so winter turned to spring, the little we have these little flowers called crocuses. They're little purple bulbs that pop up. And then also snowbells, little white flowers. 
And as those started to bloom, something inside me bloomed. And so I actually went and looked at the interval training program that she was using, which was couch to 5k. A mm-hmm. lot of people mm-hmm. Yeah. And it said 60 seconds of jogging. Now it said a lot more than that, <laughs> but that's what I read. And there was something about 60 seconds of jogging, not running that I thought, well, I can do that. Yeah. Sounded doable. And I don't completely know what, why it was that day, except that my husband was at work and most of the neighbors were gone. So nobody was going to, you know, see me. And I took the dog as a decoy. So people would just think I was walking the dog. And I took my little digital timer, a little digital kitchen timer set for 60 seconds and went down in this, um, I, I call it the ravine, but it's this area where the houses are set really back up on their lots because it's a floodplain. And so the houses are kind of up on the hill. So people don't really see you down there. And I stood there for a long time before I hit the timer and actually tried to jog. But I jogged for 60 seconds and I didn't die, which <laughs> sounds ridiculous now, but that's where I was mentally. Totally. It, just just leaving the house, leashing up the dog, just basic things that most of us take for granted yeah. were huge for me. Yeah. So it was that high school friend. It was that inspiration. So I'd like to tell people, you know, people are watching. Yeah. People are watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that that's a pressure, but don't think that the little thing you think is no big deal mm-hmm. isn't a big deal to somebody else, isn't yeah. inspiring somebody else, because that's exactly what happened. And, you know, things didn't change overnight, but pretty quickly, as I continued to jog without dying, I started to feel better. And then eventually other people started to notice and they would ask me the funniest things. One friend said, did you get your hair cut? <laughs> it was just, you know, they didn't know what was different. Something oh my gosh. Different. And so, you know, that's how it started. And that's why I kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So how long leading up to it, leading up to this kind of pivotal moment, how long had you been, had you been dealing with mental health issues and depression and everything? Really most of my life. I think it really started in college, mostly anxiety. And then in law school, I went, I did go to law school, horrible depression. I had anxiety and then I had these horrible periods of depression and panic attacks, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually see a counselor. I think I was actually practicing law and I probably should have been on medication a lot sooner, mm-hmm. but I have, um, I'm in recovery and I have a kind of a whole addiction background. And this was the nineties and there was still a lot of confusion as to what mental health medications mm-hmm. were and what right. they would do. And you know, I didn't want to get addicted to anything. And right. well, that's still true. So I suffered with it a lot longer than I probably needed to. Yeah. And I'm kind of, you know, one of those people I'm not, I wouldn't call myself stoic, but I tend to want to muscle through. Right. If right. I just, just push figure through. this out, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm smart. If I could just figure this out. Well, mm-hmm. no, if you're, you know, if you have a broken leg, you can be smart as all get out, but if you don't go get it set, it's mm-hmm. not going to heal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so really, And so this was many, many years after all of that. I had been in various types of mental health treatment. I was, like I said, I was on medication for many years and still am on one med and uh, had had therapy. But there's something, and I had had various bouts of exercise, Mm -hmm. but there was something about running that it just felt like a missing piece for me that I didn't know I needed. And it's not, you know, somebody else's missing piece might be Zumba. Or might be yoga or Mm -hmm. I don't know, Tai Chi, but running for whatever reason was my kind of missing piece. I love that. I love that. Had you tried 
Well, I mean, you talk about medication and stuff, but had you tried anything else? Like, I guess the better question is what other things had you tried before that just like didn't, it just didn't hit the same. Like it just wasn't making a dent in it. We don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The biggest thing. So in, okay. So I did two things kind of at the same time Uh in 1996, I began to study with a writing teacher named Natalie Goldberg. Her most famous book is Writing Down the Bones. And my husband and I actually moved to Taos, New Mexico, so I could really dive into that and study with her full time. And so we moved to this remote town in New Mexico. I'm from Central Ohio. I'm from Columbus, which is the 15th largest metropolitan area in the United States. And we moved to a town with 7,000 people. That's an hour and a half from anything. Um, so we call that a geographic cure <laughs> because I thought, oh, I'll be close to the teacher. Oh, mm-hmm. it's sunny. You know, I'll be in the mountains. Just all these kinds of things, external, external, mm-hmm. external mm-hmm. things I thought would help. And I did do, I did get some exercise there. I mean, people do, I didn't start running, but people do hike and I did mm-hmm. walk with my dogs and, you know, hike really with my dogs. And so that was really helpful. But the other thing that I did while I was there was I thought, oh, we're in this natural environment. I'll go off all my meds and try these, you know, natural remedies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that might work for somebody. Let me just tell you that suicidal ideation is real. Wow. And it was, it was actually part of why we came back is because yeah. I couldn't, I had to drive to Santa Fe, which is an, it's like an hour and a half one way through the gorge mm-hmm. to see a psychiatrist and also to get really good therapy. And I just, you know, the thing is when you go off your meds, it's not, even if they put you back on them right away, it's not like a magic switch. Right. right. Once you're off them, you kind of go down mm-hmm. and it can, and sometimes the same meds don't work then. Mm-hmm. It just was, it was just hard. And there were a lot of other things to it. The reasons, lots of reasons that Taos was not a good fit, but that was, I mean, those two things, the geographic cure, <laughs> thinking I would find this teacher, thinking I would go a mm-hmm. physical place. So mm-hmm. both were kind of geographicers right. and the teacher was wonderful. Okay. I learned a ton from her. I still adore her. Still I'm in touch with her. But then the going off my meds without, I mean, it's one thing if you talk to your psychiatrist, right. say, I'm worried about the side effects. Right. But no, no, I'm just, oh, just we're out here in turkey. nature. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I just know so many people that want, just want it to be different. Just yeah. want it to not have to do this to stay alive. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, those are yeah. some things. And I've tried, you know, uh, fish oil, which is good for you. Sure. I've tried eating vegan, which is, can be good for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've tried yeah. really Well, I think it's a good point though. I think it's a good point to make that, well, one point being that what works for one person doesn't always work for somebody else. And then also point that, and I think in recent years, the stigma has kind of changed a little bit, but that sometimes medication is necessary. Like when it's a serious thing like that, like it just, your brain needs it. And that's that it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I've tried to go off many different times and it has never gone well. And I mean, I've tried to go off with, you know, in consultation mm-hmm. with a psychiatrist mm-hmm. or with mm-hmm. my general practitioner. I've done all of that. Right. And always I ended up back on some kind. And I have to say that with running, I'm down to one medication. That's and amazing. at one time I was on six. And I also take wow. Synthroid for my thyroid. So I technically take two prescriptions, but only yeah. one for mental mm-hmm. health medication. Right. That's and amazing. Yeah, it was very funny because it we didn't necessarily anticipate it. And what happened was I started having 
the side effects you get when you're on too much medication mm. and nothing had changed mm-hmm. except that I was running. And so very gradually they tapered me down yeah. off those and we realized, oh yeah, it is, it's the medication. That's so. incredible. That's incredible. That running did that. Like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my psychiatrist had, she's been my psychiatrist for quite a few years now. And she said that I run a lot of miles and that that makes a difference. And I also, as I age, it's almost like the running is more effective because Mm -hmm. I run the same number of miles, but I'm getting older. So my metabolism takes it better, Mm -hmm. takes it more Mm -hmm. as if I were doing more. So sometimes there's a, you know, I mean, there are some good things about aging. Yeah, Yeah, we're right. That's hate. That's hopeful. So as of now to date, how many, I know you do marathons and ultramarathons, how many long distance races have you done? Oh, well, I've done one ultramarathon so far. I'm signed up for another one for next year. Last year was my first. My gosh. How long was that one? It's uh, 31 and change. So 50K. So it's kind of like the shortest, technically an ultramarathon is anything longer than 26.2. So Mm 26.3, which you sometimes run by accident. (laughs) You don't mean to run (laughs) Like we're longer, you just, you know, but yeah, so I've run one ultra marathon, three fulls, so three mm-hmm. full marathons, and then uh, 29 halves oh in 18 gosh. states. And then I've run a whole bunch of shorter races, more than 100 sure. yeah. k's and 10 k's and things like that. That's amazing. My yeah, gosh. I was before the pandemic, I had been collecting half marathons in the 50 states. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my one of my goals. Mm-hmm. My husband and I like to travel, and he he goes to museums or he likes to go to the presidential libraries. And so we were going to places that had presidential libraries and we would go, you know, to the library and then I'd run a race and we were doing that. And then of course the pandemic sort yeah, of sure. did and yeah. everything shut down. So we're actually, I'm hoping to do, start that again. And, and uh, Virginia, Virginia, hopefully will be my next, next that state. We'll see. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. My gosh. What, so, and am I allowed to ask how old you are to tell the listeners? Yes, yeah. I turned 60 in August of oh 2021. Okay. So yeah, I just turned 60. So, so new age group, new age group. Yes, Yay. thank you. Yes, well, and letting people know like, hey, y'all, it's not too late. Like, come on. Oh, no, I didn't start until I was 49. I think I was 48, 49. That's awesome. So my first marathon, I was 50. Yeah, that's incredible. So what made you decide to start writing about this and to write this memoir that's now, you know, a New York Times bestseller? Oh, it's not it. <laughs> I or wish it was a New- <laughs> award-winning thing, award-winning. Yes, it is not a New York Times. Thank you, though. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an Amazon bestseller. So hey, it is a, that's an accomplishment. And it, it did, well, and I just it put it out into the universe. So maybe yes, it'll happen thank now. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. It, so everybody just go somewhere and buy the book on the same day. Everybody tomorrow, that's it. go buy the book on the same day. That's how you end up on the New York Times hey, bestseller. Hey, all right. <laughs> but uh, thank you for thinking that. Yeah, so... I have always been writing. I mean, even since I was a little girl. And even when I practiced law, I very quickly realized that the niche that worked best for me was writing and research. Mm -hmm. And I have a journalism degree. And after I uh, stopped practicing law, I went back and got my master's of fine arts and creative writing in writing. So I have kind of always been a writer Mm -hmm. of one type or another. And for many years, I tried to write various stories, uh, book length works, a lot of memoir, some fiction, just different things. And I did have a book that I felt, it felt finished to me about the last year my father was alive, which actually coincided. It was uh, six months before he was diagnosed. I was in the the psych ward with my first, the big, big depression episode. 
And so that timing of that, and he and I got to spend his last summer together playing oh. golf because instead of, you know, driving around being this important lawyer, I was trying to heal from mm -hmm. uh, major depressive issues. Mm -hmm. So I tried to publish that book and just didn't have success. And I think what happened, you know, I'm always writing. And so I just always am taking notes with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so kind of what happened was I realized as people watched me, this middle-aged woman suddenly take up running, a non-athletic middle-aged woman, that there was a story in that. Mm -hmm. And the more I worked on it, the more I realized that the real story was about me trying to save my life. Right. That there was, you know, there's lots of stories about people who get fit and things like that. But the mental health angle was angle was the part that I really wanted to focus on. And I wanted to have let people have a peek inside my brain. So the, the book is a little bit, in some ways, it's kind of like a training manual. You know, on this day, I ran this many mm -hmm. miles. Oh, I got injured. Here's what I did. Oh, these are the shoes I wore. There's a lot of that in it. So it's very much a running book. But what I wanted was to give people kind of like a little peek inside my head. Mm -hmm. This is what anxiety looks like mm -hmm. when you're 49 years old. And what do you do about it? And this is what depression looks like. And oh my gosh, paranoia and, you know, all of those things that I live with every day. What is that really like? And, and so that's kind of the, there's sort of two trajectories. There's the trajectory, trajectory of couch to marathon. And then there's also the trajectory of how running helped my life. And sure. I'm very careful to say that it didn't cure me. I yeah. still have plenty of symptoms, plenty of challenges, but it's, so much better. I mean, yes. just so much, so much better. And there's yeah. a dog. There's my dog. Hey, that's always, hey, I will pick up any book that has any sort of animal in it. So that's always a selling point. <laughs> so do you ever think about like, and not to like, you know, send you to a dark place, but do you ever think about where you were headed if you hadn't discovered that this was like the thing to help, you know, push you in the right direction? Yeah. I mean, I will go to the dark place because I was contemplating suicide. Yeah. I mean, I really, I had contemplated it before and I knew pretty much what I would do. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that I wouldn't be alive, but without some other intervention, mm -hmm. and it's possible that there would have been another intervention. Sure. Somebody sure. might have realized how bad it was and sent me to the hospital again. Mm -hmm. Cause I was in, I did have a a structure, kind of a safety net that I had built as a result of the previous times when I'd had very serious suicidal or, you know, really dark places. Mm -hmm. I had built kind of a web with my family, my friends, my mental health. You know, I'm, I'm so fortunate, privileged really to have good health insurance, to have good care, mental health care. And not everybody has that. And those are the people sure. that slip through the cracks. Yep, I mean, exactly. really. And so, so I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it would have been good because yeah. I yeah. was in a place where I really started thinking, what would it be like if I just wasn't here? Mm -hmm. How could that happen? You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't as if I had a plan, although I sure. did have, you know, always kind of had that, but it was more of a, what a relief that would be. And when people start thinking that, when I hear anybody say that, man, I'm like on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to them about what that means and that would be for the people around them. And yeah. The suicide prevention hotline. And because yeah, yeah. that's, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of mm. the trip down. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. When I like that you brought up the point that you had good, you know, you have good insurance and you'd be able to get good help because I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day. There's a documentary that's on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about the homeless epidemic on the West Coast. And the majority of them, they're interviewing some of the homeless people 
And the majority of them are talking about mental health. Like that's what they struggle with. And I mean, it just is so heartbreaking because all they want is help. Like they just want to roof over the head and they just want help. So I don't know, and this is a pretty loaded question, but just, you know, you are a mental health advocate. What do you think are, I guess, viable solutions for that kind of thing for people who don't have access to therapy or psychiatrists or counselors or the mental health help they need? Like, what do you think are viable solutions for that? Yeah, I don't. That's really, that is really a loaded question. (laughs) Um, I wasn't prepared for that, really. But I think that, I mean, I, without getting totally political, we just want to forget that they're there Mm -hmm. and that is not working. Right. It is not working. And there are so many more people who are, I mean, I live in Columbus, Ohio, like I said before, and we didn't used to have somebody panhandling on every corner. Mm -hmm. And now we do Mm -hmm. on the bigger, you know, bigger intersections. And that's just throughout the city. And it never was like that. And I don't, I mean, those people don't want to be doing that. I mean, that's, they're out there in the corner. I mean, it's just crazy. So I don't know if it, Part of the issue, I mean, I have been involved in the homeless community a little bit when I kind of on the very edge when Mm -hmm. we lived in Taos. And it's very, very complicated because it's not like you can just make appointments for the homeless people and take them to a therapist. Exactly. We're going to be fine. No, this is a very complicated issue. There are cultural issues. There are class issues. I mean, it's very complicated. So I don't know what the answer is. I just know that what we're doing is not working. Right. And so, I almost think that anything would be better. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a story recently in the Columbus Dispatch about a caseworker who works with homeless people who she just befriended this one man. Mm. And that's kind of what she does. She just sort of one at a time sees them exactly for who they are mm-hmm. as a human being exactly. and finds out what is their specific situation. And this man did not necessarily want to live inside. He wanted help. But he was very afraid. He had so much, you know, baggage that she had to work through to eventually find him a place where he's now sheltered. And I think people don't realize that they think, oh, we'll just, you know, slap a bunch of money at it, which money is good. That would help. But it requires a structure. I have another friend who uh, she wasn't homeless, but she had just sort of trouble. The solution was to give them a college degree. And they couldn't, the program was very well intended and some people are very successful in it, but the majority of the people who weren't, it was because of mental health issues and they weren't addressing that. They just mm-hmm. wanted to, to throw college degrees and money at the people without giving them any structure right. or any kind of support. There's a great book called Bridges Out of Poverty mm-hmm. that talks about this very thing about there's, there are just different ways people think that depending on how you're raised, and especially if you come from poverty, mm-hmm. that your brain works differently. Yep. And and I don't mean that in a bad way, but we just have to recognize that people are different. And so right. I think the homelessness, it's a mental health em- epidemic, and then it becomes the stigma. I mean, it's just so complicated. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like I kind of copped out on that answer. No, no, it was good. Oh, was, no. I, I did no, throw you no. for a loop, no. but I thought that was, yeah. no, it was a great answer. No. I think that just continuing to have the conversation and talk about it out loud yeah. and say, all right, why is this person standing on the street with a mm-hmm. sign asking me for money? How did they get there? You exactly. know, be concerned about their backstory, mm-hmm. whether you want to give them money or not, be curious as yeah. to what is going on there. Right. So. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I think that was, and I, I agree with you too. I think, and this is what they, something in the documentary, one of the, the guys said the same thing. It's like, 
just seeing them as, as a human, like if they're a fellow human being that just, like you're saying, they're wired differently. So many of them are, and that, you know, it's led to whatever decisions they've made to lead them to where they are. Like, but they're still human beings that need care. And yeah, so I did throw you for a loop on that one, but I just wanted to get your thoughts because it's been no, just having it's conversations a about question. it. Mm-hmm. It's a great question and one I want to think about more because I know that there are things I'm very involved in a group called Still I Run Runners for Mental Health Awareness. Mm-hmm. And I would like to get that, you know, that, that group is doing a bunch of different things. But I, I think there's a, a homelessness piece and an mm-hmm. unsheltered piece that I don't know how we could do that. But I know that there like there are running groups. There are people that have started running groups for unsheltered people. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah. So um that. So yeah, I don't know where that fits into this yeah. yet, but I'm always, I tend to be very intuitive. And so like you've sparked something in me now mm-hmm. and that will wake up a part of my brain and I'll start seeing information about Absolutely. that. Up. So thank you for the yeah, question. Yeah, you're welcome. Really, Thanks. It's for- really important. We just have to keep to ha- need to keep having these conversations totally. and uh, bringing them up even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And then speaking of, I guess this kind of leads me to the next question I wanted to ask you talking about tools for, you know, the unsheltered people. What do you think are some of the the best mental health tools that people can use? Uh, like, what would be your recommendations for that? Well, I'm a you know exercises probably first, but mm-hmm. also meditation. And mm-hmm. by that, I don't mean you know going to an ashram or even going to retreats or anything, but just pure mindful awareness of being where you're at, being present in your body, because most of the time we live kind of from our chins up. And, uh, or maybe even our eyebrows up actually. <laughs> and I think that awareness of being where we're at, it makes it harder to ignore things. And so that might make it more uncomfortable for people, but it also might make them realize when they need help. Mm-hmm. Because if you're checked out, you can go really far down the rabbit hole before you yep. need it. Yep. I also do what's called writing practice, which I mentioned Natalie Goldberg before. Her book, Writing Down the Bones, introduced me to that. And um, you can call it journaling, you can call it morning pages, but timed writing where there is no agenda, where you're just downloading your mind because some people process better with a pen than they do talking. Yep. And for the people who process better by talking, finding someone who will just listen without trying to fix you. Right, right. Just right. someone who you can just maybe unload on even. And it might not always be the same person because not everybody can handle that all the time, but just someone in community that you can, I mean, that's the joke. We talk about trail therapy because a lot of what happens when we're running is we're talking about Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that Mm -hmm. don't have anything to do with running. Mm -hmm. And so the sense of community that I have found in, you know, the running group has been part of that being able to have to share with. So, yeah. so those are, those are kind of the, the things. And then goals are really good too, whether it's your first 5k, whether it's just someday I'd like to be able to run a mile or walk a mile. I mean, for some people walk a mile is a big goal. Yeah. Just some kind of tiny goal. And I, I like to say, make them small enough that you can't fail. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, start with 30 seconds, you know, 60 seconds of jogging. Start with that. Yeah. I love that. Small goals. That's always good advice for anything. So I love that. So who has been, I know you talk about your dog and you have a husband, I guess, you know, what kind of support has that brought you like through the process having, you know, a husband who's supporting your running and all of that. And the dog who's 
your, you know, your running companion, I'm assuming. Yeah. So in the book, the dog was Morgan. He was, or he was already probably five when we started running. So sadly, he's gone to the great dog park in the sky. But now we have Scarlett. She's all over social media. She's the pupperina. She has her own hashtag. She's so bad. So she's cute. the 99% good dog. And it's all spelled out. So if you just put that hashtag in, you'll find That's pictures great. of all the things she eats. But yeah, the thing about pets is the unconditional love. Mm -hmm. No, they just love you no matter what. At least my dog does. And mm -hmm. the dogs I've had are usually like that. Cats have had a, one cat and she was like that too. Mm -hmm. Most of the time she also would get, you know cat-like sometimes. Let's just say, be a cat. Um, a yeah. lot of cats are very, yes, a lot of cats are very affectionate. They cats get mm -hmm. such a bad rap and they're very affectionate. And some people have other pets. And then I am so grateful for my husband because he is just there. And he used to go to all the races and then after a while that got old when I was doing so many races. So now he doesn't. He'll go to the big yeah. races. He went to the ultra marathon. If I run another marathon, he'll go. Yeah. Um, he's going with me to the next half. So we, we're going to go to DC and hit the museum Very fun. Um, and then head down to Virginia. So that, but I think, um, I think just having that, you know, if you don't, if you're not coupled and you don't have pets, there are still people, especially in the running community mm -hmm. that you can connect with. Oh my gosh. They're just, and they're always doing things besides running too. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a amazing exhibit at the holiday at the Franklin Park Conservatory and, you know, a group will go and see the holiday lights yeah. and people dress up for the turkey trot and mm -hmm. the Halloween thing. I mean, we do, do all kinds of things that are not mm -hmm. necessarily related. Specifically. Yeah. So getting just, you can start with a Facebook group. There's a Facebook group for every kind of mm -hmm. runner you can imagine, whether you're a sober runner, whether you're a drinking runner, mm -hmm. whether you, you know, there's a group for people over 50, over 60, over 40. Um, right. Fast runners, the slow runners, there's the the Jeff Galloway walk, run, you know, run, walk, run. I mean, there's just everything. Yeah. So just get in there and sniff around. Mm -hmm. And the other one for mental health, Still I Run, there's a Facebook community group uh, for, uh, I think it's called the Still I Run community. Mm -hmm. And it has, I think it has 4,000 members, awesome. but people just post their runs or yeah. people post, hey, I'm having this issue. And somebody will say, well, I did that too. And here's what I did, you know. So, um, just reaching out because to me, like depression tells you you're alone. Mm -hmm. Depression and anxiety tell you no one will understand. And I'm the only one going through this. And, and you are not, oh my gosh, you are so not. But at that, in that moment, it really feels like it. Mm -hmm. So finding other people who've been through it and, you know, they're not going to give you medical advice, but they can say, yeah, I, I went to see a therapist. Yeah, I did go on medication, um, things like that. And right. yeah, I did get new running shoes and I felt better. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I felt great. <laughs> well, I think it's too, like you're saying, I think it's just, you know, that feeling that you're not alone. Like there's other people going through the same thing. That's, I mean, that's extremely powerful. So yeah, I think that's all really good advice. That made me think of one other thing too, which I have failed to mention, which was actually really important in my journey. And that is running for charity, mm. getting involved in a charity event. So you're raising money for whatever cause is near and dear to your heart. Part of what happened in the months before I started running, especially a couple of years, I had a whole bunch of family member members and loved ones die, seven people and a wow. cat in the same year. Mm. And one of them was my 24-year-old niece. She died of mm. cancer. Jamie was her name. And my first 5K was a uh, the steps for sarcoma, three is money for cancer research mm -hmm. for the type of cancer that, mm -hmm. that she died from. And so that actually 
was the only reason I ever ran a 5k. I really never, I was a private runner. My sister had, her mother had asked me if I wanted to go. I'm like, no, no, I'm a private runner. I run in the ravine by myself. (laughs) And that good cause got me out of myself, got me over myself Mm -hmm. enough. And it was really my entry into the running community because I went to that race and my God, there are people of all ages, all Mm -hmm. sizes, all colors wearing, you know, some were in spandex, some were in cotton. You know, it was just, all over the place. Yes. And it, it just kind of blew my mind of how big this community is. Yeah. So getting out of yourself, because we, a lot of us are very heart centered and mm-hmm. we need that too. For sure. So, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that that's super powerful. And I think, you know, for a lot of people that since that are dealing with mental health are also having this like existential stress or, you know what I mean? And it gives, it's, it's like your sense of purpose. Like now you have a purpose and, and just having a purpose will keep you going. So I think that's great. I love that. Right. And it doesn't have to be a big deal too. Mm-hmm. I think I thought I hesitated to get involved in anything too charity-ish for a long time because I had so little energy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I felt I had nothing left to give. Yes, right. I didn't realize until I got involved that you actually do get energized and it doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to raise thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. You can raise 25 bucks and yeah. that's enough. You yeah. know, that's good. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Okay. So I do have one more question for you, but I will, before I ask you that, I want to you to tell all the listeners where they can find out more about you, where they can find your books and all that. Yeah. So the best place is my website, nitasweeney.com. My books are available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> my editor told me this. <laughs> I love that. Fine books sold. I'm on all the social media channels. I have a free ebook called Three Ways to Heal Your Mind, which if you go to my website, you can download that. Okay. And that you end up on my email list, but I don't send out very many emails and you can unsubscribe anytime. Uh, so yeah, that's the best place is just yeah. go to nitasweeney.com. Perfect. Perfect. I'll put all that in the show notes. I already can find you easily. Great. So my last question for you that I like to end with everybody is what do you think is the most important thing you can do to live with purpose? For me, it's being present. So I have a meditation practice. I had that before I began to run and I have been able to transform running into a meditative practice, which I'm actually writing about that now, because let's say that charity event we talked about, if you're not present with yourself, you're not going to care to help someone else. Mm -hmm. And if you're not present to the people around you, to yourself, you can't be present to the people around you. So that it always comes back to just being in this moment and learning how to be okay with it, even when it's difficult, because then when it's wonderful, you can really enjoy it because you're there, you're present. So absolutely. I love that so much. Thank you so much, Nita, for all of this insight. And this is like super powerful for even those who aren't dealing with mental health. I think all of these are applicable to everybody and every you know, spectrum on the mental health scale. So thank you so much for offering all of this and sharing your story. Well, thank you for the time and let me share your platform. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the work you're doing, Hope. It's really important. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hopeful and Wholesome, y'all. If you found value in this week's episode, please subscribe on iTunes wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review to let me know what you thought. I love to know what you find useful in these episodes so I know how I can provide the most value I can to my listeners. And if you have topics that you want to know more about, I'd love to hear those as well. So shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's at the Hope Pedraza or visit my website, hopefulandwholesome.com. Thanks, y'all.